welcome to the Group Home Riches Podcast. If you have the desire to be your own boss, create your own schedule, and become financially free while at the same time helping people in need, then you've come to the right place. At GroupHomeRiches.com, we teach people exactly like yourself how to get started in the group home business, and on this podcast, you're going to hear their stories firsthand. Welcome to the Group Home Riches Podcast. Today we have a VIP, very special guest. It's been about, I looked it up over, it's been over three years since we've done kind of a one-on-one with our founder, Andy. So even if you've listened to that first interview, the very first interview we ever had, you may want to go revisit that. But Andy, welcome to the podcast. We wanted to have you on and kind of reintroduce you to the group and also get kind of an update, kind of a deep dive on what you've been doing since we've last had the one-on-one with you. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for doing this. Yeah. So we won't spend the whole podcast on just like your, your origin story since we did that already, but if let's kind of start there. First, we'll just talk about real estate. What, what got you into real estate? The reality is just growing up, I saw people in my family lose their jobs and I I didn't want to experience that. I wanted to live a life on my own terms and be able to, it sounds a little bit corny, but, you know, basically just create my own destiny. That was really the most important thing for me. I wanted to be able to do what I wanted, when I wanted, with whom I wanted, where I wanted. And I knew that I was not going to be able to do that in a normal nine to five type job. So that's really really the, the main thing. And was that something you, you always had or was there kind of a catalyst that brought that on? I think that that was how it always was. I mean, I remember as a young man thinking to myself like, wow, I don't, I do not want to experience this when I'm older. I, I just don't want to experience this when I'm older, i.e. losing a job and trying to support a family. Like I, I vividly remember that even as like little nine, 10 year old boy seeing stuff that we were going through. And I'm like, I, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that. I want to, I want to find a way to be, to be rich, basically. This is something I don't even know if, if we've talked about, but it just kind of makes me think, did you have like a lot of little hustles when you were a little kid or what was that like? Yeah, I did. So <laughs> starting out and that seems to be a common denominator amongst a lot of these guys. But yeah, from the time I was a young guy, I mean, I was, putting up flyers in the neighborhood. I think probably once I could start riding a bike in about third or fourth grade, I would ride around the neighborhood with a bucket and, you know, bucket towel and a little bit of uh, car wash. And I'd knock on people's doors and ask if they wanted their car washed. So I was doing that (laughs) probably when I was like third, fourth, fifth grade. And then uh, I remember, yeah, probably around fifth, sixth grade, I started making little flyers and putting them up in the neighborhood basically offering to do, you know, window washes and stuff like that. So I started doing that. And then a couple years later, there was a guy by the name of Mr. Foster. I, I, I totally remember it. And he hired me like full time to come work for him one summer. And yeah, so I was, I was hustling from a young age. Nice. I think my first, I always did like stuff around the house to earn money. But the first gig I think was when I was like 10 or 11 with a, a paper route, yeah, which was absolutely brutal every morning at like five or six in the morning, hopping on my bike seven days a week during summer, but, uh, good learning experiences. 
but you kind of had the entrepreneurial spirit from a very young age then. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was doing it again from probably third, I would say I probably started doing stuff like that in about third grade. Nice. So we'll fast forward a little bit after college, you, you got into like the corporate world, right? Yeah. So corporate America, I was working at like a tech company and yeah, it was just one of those things. So that's 2000. And I would say three or four weeks after I started, you started seeing like mass layoffs and I'm going, you've got to be kidding me. Like this is everything that, (laughs) that I did not want. And so they start getting rid of everybody and I have to figure out how to start putting resumes together. I start blasting resumes out to like monster.com, uh, which was like a job board like 20 years ago that everybody used. And I figured out how to find headhunters, the whole nine yards. Fortunately, I was able to basically stay at that company and work my way into a sales position. Now, everybody that I had been hired with, they all got fired. So there was like 10 of us, just give or take, and all of them, you know, they all lost their jobs. So I was able to stay over there. I kept my job and then I, I wound up being able to kind of uh, scratch and claw my way into a sales position that eventually I did at the time, I felt like I was doing very well. So I got into sales in corporate America. But then within that sales organization, I'm working with a bunch of guys that are at the time, they're about my age now. You know, they're in their late 30s, 40s, 50s. And I remember just seeing these guys and some of them just looked dead. I mean, they looked absolutely dead. They look like zombies walking around with their khaki pants on and their button up shirts. And I'm thinking to myself, this is not the life that I want to live over the course of the next 20 years. Now, the other thing that was very instrumental for me at the time was watching all these guys who were older just get absolutely devastated and wiped out in the stock market crash of 2000. So a lot of these guys were invested in the tech stocks and everything else. And they had families. And I was a young guy, I didn't have a family or anything like that. But I, I remember <laughs> seeing these guys talk about how they had just gotten 30, 40, 50, 60, 70% of their net worth wiped out. And these guys were all investing in their 401ks and blah, 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 blah. And something just felt wrong about everything. The work environment didn't feel right to me. The stock market kind of uh, investments didn't feel right to me. And I wasn't, you know, I'm not like a finance expert by any means, but I would try to figure out like, what are these guys investing in? Like JDS Uniphase and all these various companies and like nine out of 10 of them were scams. And so that didn't sit right with me. So that's really when I was like, all right, I got to figure out something else to do. And of course, read the rich dad, poor dad story like everyone else did. And I bought a condo for 58,000 bucks in Dallas, Texas. And that was the beginning of the empire. That was the beginning. And, and look, it's all, it's all relative. I mean, there's always bigger, badder gunslingers out there. So I don't want to pretend that I have an empire compared to you know, a lot of these other guys. But the main thing is, is that I can live off my assets and do what I want, you know, kind of when I want. So, but yeah, that was, that was the genesis. That was the beginning of it. Absolutely. And uh, living off the assets and everything like that, it was an easy ride and probably just took a year or two, correct? <laughs> Oh my gosh, man. Yeah, no, definitely not. <laughs> um, so I bought that condo, which I, I, I actually got ripped off on it. So that's a funny story. I paid 58 grand for it. And 
this realtor had shown me like four or five other properties and they knew exactly what they were doing, playing the game, showing me these crappy condos for $65,000, I'm like, I-, I can never live here, you know? And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, check this one out. It's $58,000. I thought it was the best deal I'd seen. Of course, I never, I never was told by the guy that it was owned by him. And so he was the one that actually owned it and sold it to me, which I had, I had no clue. I was you know, 21 years old or whatever at the time. So not only did he sell me a condo at an inflated price, but then three or four weeks afterwards, after I'd bought it, moved in there, I'm talking to one of the neighbors and she's like, did you really pay $58,000 for that? Because these things only sell for $42,000. And oh, wow. <laughs> so, yeah, that was, this is just part of the game. Though. So no, no analysis, no comps or anything like that. Just totally <laughs> got the feet wet without even feeling the water. This was my analysis at the time. I said to myself, okay, $58,000. I was able to get a loan because I had a $30,000 salary. And um, that's how I got the loan. I had some money saved up from doing all the stuff that I was talking about earlier. So I think my down payment was like 2,500 bucks or something. But I knew that the mortgage payment after everything, the HOA fees and all that stuff was going to be about just give or take like probably 675 a month. Well, I knew that I could get a roommate for 550. Yeah, so that's what I did. I mean, that was really that's how I penciled it all together. Cool. You know, hey, so it did. Roommate. Yeah, it worked out. Yeah, I can get a roommate for 550, and it'll cost me like 100 bucks a month to live here. So the first deal was what they would call a house hack, basically. Yeah, that's what they call it in, in modern day parlance. Yeah. Yeah, and then from there it was you just went and acquired a couple, just kept acquiring rentals from there. Correct. So I bought a few more condos over at that building, which, I mean, you go through all the trials and tribulations. I remember I had this guy, Alfredo, that I hired to like fix a broken window that one of the tenants had damaged when they were drunk and doing their thing. And I think Alfredo ripped me off, probably charged me $500 or so to like fix a window. But I had no clue what stuff should cost back then. I just didn't know. So yeah, you get poked, you get prodded, you get you know, there's a lot of potholes and corners and dips and valleys on the road to success. So lots of issues popped up, but I just, for whatever reason, I was pretty bullheaded and I just, you know, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And I just, anytime something popped up that I thought was a good deal, like, you know, I would try to buy them. You know, I would save up money. I would just scrape money together. So I was trying to scrape together a couple thousand here, a couple thousand there, basically in $50 increments. And every time I had, call it about four grand saved up, I'd go buy another one. And how much were these condo, were they, how much were they cash flowing if everything worked out and Alfredo didn't, well, wasn't you ripping know, you off? The interesting <laughs> thing with real estate, and it took me a long time to figure this out, it's very, very, very elusive, very elusive. You know, and I, I'm doing my numbers in my head. And of course, I'm not factoring in, at the time, I'm not factoring in vacancy or maintenance costs or any of that stuff. I'm just going, these are my rents. This is my principal interest, taxes, insurance, and HOA fees. And this is how much I should make per month. But it never, ever, ever worked out like that. But I was a slow learner and it probably took me 10 years to realize that. (laughs) Probably less than 10 years. But look, you think you're making $300 a month, you're probably losing $200 a month. Yeah, that, that's what I see with a lot of investors that go for that strategy. Their top line is going to be like two or 300 bucks per month if everything works out perfectly. 
Yeah. And then they think, oh, you know, I'll just buy like five to 10 condos and I'm going to have two or 3,000 bucks in passive, quote unquote, passive income every yep. month. And from all the people that I've spoken with and that I've known and that I've gotten deals from because they sell it, their properties for like pennies on the dollar, it never works out that way. <laughs> um, no, it, it, it definitely does not. So there's advantages to it though, right? Like you, you had equity in the property and everything like that. You learned, you, you learned, you learned how to invest. That's one huge yeah, thing, you, right? You, yeah. The, what you're able to build up between your ears is really, really, really important. That's almost more important than what you build up in your bank account. But yeah, I mean, basically, look, you do build equity up. You've got your depreciation. There's a lot of benefits that come with it. And I did buy in an area that was turning. And so that that eventually, I don't want to say that that like formed my investment thesis or anything like that, but I bought this condo and call it a, I would say maybe like a C minus area. There was a strip club right down the street, really bad apartment building right down the road. And some developers came in and they, they bulldozed the strip club. So that was good. It was a real grungy strip club. And I think that helped to lift up the values. And so I would say, trying to do quick math on it, 2000 and then probably sold all of those things in about 2004. So within the course of about a three and a half to four year period, I sold all the condos that I had. And I was at this point, probably about 23. And uh, I remember I walked with about 125,000 bucks, which, I mean, that was a big, big, big pop for me at the time. And I didn't touch any of that money. I basically parlayed all of it in a 1031 and moved it into an area that was actually relatively depressed. There was a lot of inventory on the market. And I think I bought, I don't know, about 10 properties or so, 10 houses with that. I also realized I would never buy condos again because I didn't want to be at the mercy of any of these HOAs. But yeah, that's that's really how it all how it all started. Yeah. So I think the rental, the buy and hold game is great kind of long term or for you, it was kind of quick, you know, good timing. But yeah. in the short term, when you were getting into it, were you were you thinking you were going to get a, a bunch of like passive income and have like a bunch of cash flow coming oh, in? Of course. Yeah. I mean, that, <laughs> that, was, that was my dream at the time. I remember sitting around going, oh, you know what? I'm going to have all this passive income coming in and I'm going to take that passive income and I'm going to buy a Porsche with it. You know? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm, I'm a young guy at the time. Yeah. I think this would be pretty cool. And the reality was like it was damn near impossible to really ever have the passive income coming in, right? You think you're making 200 or $300 a house or whatever it was. For me back then, it was probably, you know, in the $50 a month range, but it just, it never really would come to fruition, right? You'd have a, a $50 a month, $50 a month, $50 a month, and then boom, you get wiped out with a hot water heater or whatever it was. As far as like profit goes, not on the sale, but just on your rental income, yeah. were you positive, do you think? Or after like taxes and maintenance and, and vacancies and everything like that, what, what do you think you were cash flowing when, when all was said and done? And probably not much on those first deals. I mean, little by little, you start perfecting things. And, you know, I'm fortunate because a lot of the people that a lot of the labor, especially here in Texas, the inexpensive labor speaks Spanish. And, uh, and so I speak Spanish. So I was able a uh, little by little to 
meet these guys, become friends with them and, and get really good deals on my labor costs. And then eventually you wind up learning what stuff should cost to fix and cost to repair and everything else. And so you're no longer spending $500 for Alfredo to rip you off, you know, putting in a window, you put in a window for, you know, you go over to Home Depot and you buy a brand new one for 175 and you, you pay somebody a hundred or 120 bucks to install it. But at the time I didn't know that. So um, how many properties did you have before you realized, oh, wow, this isn't passive? Right away. Honestly, it was like the first one because I remember, and I say the first one, the first one I lived in. So it was the first like investment property. And it was at that same condo complex. And I moved a couple of guys in that were bartenders. Well, uh, frankly, before I even moved them in, this is back pre-internet, right? So I remember trying to just lease properties out and you'd put an ad up in the Dallas Morning News and I, I would sit around all day hoping that people would come over and then people would call you on the phone, tell you they're going to come. They would never come. It was the furthest thing from passive, the furthest thing. You realized that on the first unit. That was the first unit. that I really <laughs> going, I'm going, this is not what the books made it out to be. Yeah. Let's fast forward to today's market and, you know, the same lessons apply for the most part. How many properties just strictly, you know, buy and hold for your average person out there that's looking to quote unquote, get into real estate. How many doors do you think they would need to have to actually like to actually live off of the cash flow? You know, is, is it even possible? A lot of it boils down to how long you've owned them for, but let's assume that you, you know, you started buying, if you bought 10 years ago in 2012, you're probably in a good position. And I would say, you know, at that point, call it 30 of them just to be safe, because obviously rents are going to build up over time. But there's, again, it's so elusive and there's so many, there's a variety of factors. If you're in California, you've got Prop 13, but on the flip side of the coin, I mean, so Prop 13, for those who don't know it, that basically keeps your taxes fixed. So you don't have to worry about your taxes eroding all of your profit. Now, the thing you have to take into consideration, though, is how many people had enough money to buy stuff in California, even during the recession 10 years ago? Like, I, I never would have been able to do that. So now if you bought in somewhere in Texas or Arkansas or something like that, you're, yeah, you're probably okay with with 30 doors. But that's you know, it still takes a substantial amount of equity injection to even build up to that point. So that's at least a couple years of holding and still kind of grinding out at your day job. And on 30 doors, if you're managing one of those things yourself, what what does your day-to-day activities look like? I mean, is that a couple hours per week, a couple hours per day? What would you say? You're going to have nonstop work orders. Again, it depends on the class of real estate. If you're talking C, B, A, chances are Look, the average person that's kind of starts off like I started off and starts off like most of our clients, they can't afford class A stuff, right? So you're buying class class D, class C, class B minus, and those things are work order intensive. I mean, there's if you've got 30 houses, that's going to be, you're going to be driving all over town all the time. If you've got a 30 door apartment complex, you're not driving over town all the time, but you're dealing with just dealing with a lot, <laughs> with a lot of, a lot of riffraff, right? Whether it's, I mean, it, it really just runs the gamut, but there's going to be work orders every single day. Yeah. It's a 
going from my experience, it's nonstop. Luckily, I did a lot of networking before I got into real estate. And I also started out working in real estate. So I had a job with a property management company. So I, I was part of the day-to-day activities for the real estate investor. And it's just the amount of just miscellaneous phone calls, showing the properties, maintenance orders. It's just, it's, you know. It's nonstop. It's a, non, yeah. it's a nonstop. It's just a nonstop hustle. I started working at an 80-unit property. And there were three of us that worked full-time and couldn't keep up with everything. And that's counting, you know, we, we also had, you know, two managers above us and a full-time maintenance crew, a maintenance staff, along with a construction, construction crew too, right? <laughs> and then a manager to, to manage the construction. So, so that, that's pretty interesting because, you know, when you were like, how many doors do you need? I threw out the number 30 and I just, you know, that's just off the top of my head. But those numbers coincide with what you're telling me, right? You guys had 80 units and you had yeah. three people kind of overseeing it. So there you go. I mean, we had three office workers managing the day-to-day stuff yeah. and we were completely overloaded as, yeah. as well as three managers above us and the maintenance staff and the construction staff. So that's give you guys an idea of what you're working towards if you are looking into getting into buy and hold. So we wanna give you guys, (laughs) we wanna give you guys the real deal here on this podcast. You gotta know the real deal. And again, like like you're saying, Brandon, there are a lot of benefits with owning this stuff. Correct. Um, But then you have to educate yourself on that front as well. I mean. You know, if you get to the point where they're paid off, I mean, there's a lot of people that that have got paid off real estate or it's got a lot of equity in it, but they're not sophisticated enough to even take it over to the local bank and say, yeah, I want a line of credit on this asset. They don't even know how to do that. For me personally, I would consider doing it if I had or when I have, you know, too much cash just sitting in the bank collecting dust, right? You could put the money to work for you. You're not necessarily banking on the cash flow. It's just yep. something, you know, you earn money, get assets and, you know, in you know, 10, 20 years, it's going to be nice. Yeah. Um, and really that's, I mean, that is the real estate game in a nutshell, right? It's, it is the game that the very wealthy people play, but then the neophytes like myself 20 years ago, were like, all right, I want to be rich, you know, rich people buy real estate. Let me start buying this stuff. Uh, and then, you know, little by little you wake up and realize, well, <laughs> it's not really how it works. You know, you can't go out and buy something. Look, you're going to get a return that typically is very similar to like a 10-year T-bill. And now you're actually getting less. You go buy real estate right now, just because the market hasn't totally shifted yet, you might make five, you know, four or five percent on your money. Uh, you go buy a 10-year T-bill or whatever, you probably make six, six and a half. But like, think about how wealthy you need to be in order to live off of 5% interest. Yeah. Like you got a million bucks, you're making 50 grand a year. I mean, 50 grand a year not doing anything is pretty nice, but it's most people with kids and everything else, they're not living fat on 50 grand a year. So if the second to last step is to have a ton of cash in the bank, <laughs> what is the first step to, you know, really gaining a, a acquiring wealth, long-term generational wealth? What's the first thing you need to find out? In my personal opinion, it is generating money. You need to generate cash. Bingo. You need to find a vehicle 
that pumps money out. That's what you need. You need a slot machine. You need a broken slot machine that just pays out, pays out, pays out, pays out. Again, luckily I learned from other people's mistakes when I was, again, just kind of researching real estate. I was like, man, how does, this doesn't make sense. <laughs> like, how could I buy real estate? And like, it just does, the, the numbers don't work, all the work that was getting out to it. So then I'm like, man, and you can't just buy real estate off the MLS typically. It's like, right. so luckily, you know, all of these questions led me to wholesaling and that's when it clicked for me. Like, oh, I can just find deals, sell the deals. I don't need to be yelling at contractors all day long. I just sell the paper and bingo, my, my, a cash vehicle was, uh, that's, that's when I knew that's when I, it, it clicked for me. I'm like, all right. This is a good cash vehicle. What was yours? Because you learned pretty quickly after that first unit, right? Like, oh man, yeah. this is a passive. It's not, you know, I'm not getting that Porsche money. So what was your solution to up and up the cash flow? Okay. So full disclosure, you know, look, I, I had a job, right? I mean, the first thing I had was a job. Right. <clears throat> Didn't like it? No. Was I willing to hustle and do whatever it took to make money doing that job? Absolutely. So that was number one. Now, when I eventually quit corporate America, I quit corporate America after I sold a property that I had actually converted into a group home. I sold that. That was like 2005. Then I left corporate America. And then I was sitting around going, okay, I got to have, I need a, an actual cash vehicle. Well, obviously, what had I just sold that was generating cash? Group home. So I basically started taking these houses and converting them over to group homes. And I would say within probably three or four months, I had like four grand a month coming in. And at the time, you know, this is quite a while ago, that was enough for me to live on. I was single. I think my overhead was probably, I mean, I, I could live easily for 1500 bucks a month. Easy. Yeah. I mean, that, that was it. Yeah, that was it for me running group homes. Yeah. So just to put things in perspective, this was a time when, a good corporate job was, you know, the salary was like 30,000 bucks and you were bringing in close to five yeah. from the group. So, homes. Well, I, I, ha I had the salary, but then what I also had were the commissions. So the commissions right. really, really, really helped out the commissions when they, you know, I'd start getting, you know, 750 here, 500 there, 1250 here, 1500 there. And I would just save up that money. And every time I had money saved up, I'd, I'd buy another property. And then to fast forward to the real entrepreneurial vehicle for me that was the group homes let's kind of rewind for anybody for the new listeners when they hear group homes why don't you give kind of uh the elevator pitch on what is a group home what do you what do you mean by that who was living in the properties why was that generating more cash than your rentals just yeah. uh for anybody that's that's new if you just stumbled onto this podcast or you know youtube video and you hear group homes. I remember when I first heard it, it was like, what? How do you make more money doing that? <laughs> like, doesn't make sense. So why don't you break that down real quick okay. for the folks so, out there? Yeah, high, high level, when I say group homes, I mean, that's just the term that I use. I mean, you can, in a lot of respects, you can use it interchangeably with assisted livings, with care homes, with transitional homes, with, I mean, it really runs the gamut. What you're really doing in a nutshell, you're taking a house, if it's a four bedroom house, you're going to put two beds to a room and you're going to have eight tenants living in that property. And each tenant's paying, you know, 
five, six, seven hundred, a thousand dollars a month, maybe more, just depending on on the area and the location. And that is what I did. So that's what group homes are, or that's what I call them. And that's what I started doing. And by the time I had three group homes up and going, I was I was set. I was able to live off my own assets. I vividly remember being at a restaurant with my girlfriend at the time. And this is before all this stuff had really gotten going. I was, I think I was probably on number one. I'm like, this is how I'm going to do it. And we go back to that same restaurant. We're sitting at the bar drinking a margarita. And this is, you know, six months after that first time we we sat down over there and I'm like, I'm good. I'm good. Like I'm literally living off of my assets. I'm living off of my business income and I've got extra money laying around. Like life was good for me. So and it was a really exciting time for me. Yeah, that's, I'm excited just hearing that story because I don't know if, if I've even heard it broken down like that. So if we rewind to like the rental game, you estimated that you would need to get about 30 properties and take about 10 years in order to get to that point. That's my personal opinion. Yeah, you know, and that's that's still you. Give or take, give or take you know, people yeah, might get lucky in the market. You might get yeah. some pops, yep. but- that's just to put things in perspective. And then when you figured out the group home strategy, it took give or take about six to 12 months to get to that spot oh, yeah, no. within, and four, within six, four properties. Within six months, I, I was ripping down 4,000 bucks a month. I mean, yeah. it just happened real quick. And the only reason it took six months was because, you know, we were going over to the Salvation Army, grabbing all the furniture, which we get for dirt cheap. But we were, I was spending a decent amount of time laying tile, you know, because I put tile in all the properties. I knew <laughs> right, I've yeah. got eight people that are going to be living in these places. I'm not putting carpet in. So we'd go get the Hacienda tile over at Home Depot for 68 cents a square foot, get the Versa Bond. I mean, we we're into the whole deal for maybe a dollar a square foot. But that, you know, that takes a little bit of time. I mean, if you go and you tile a, a four bedroom house all by yourself, and I'm not an expert doing it. It just takes a little bit of time, but yeah, within six months, we had all those, all those beds fully occupied, generating money every single month. And then obviously you learned how to find your teams at everything like that. How long did it take to the point where you were earning a really comfortable living? And if we go listen to the previous podcast where you were on, you would always say, yeah, you know, I spend about a half hour on the business every month, which sounds crazy to people. But if you kind of do the math, you get the type of cash flow that things, these things generate, you have a lot more operating income. You could get teams, et cetera. How long did it take for you to scale to the point where you had a, you know, really good cash vehicle coming in and it was basically passive for you? I mean, within a year, I would say, but then look, by year, we just kept growing and growing and growing. So yeah. what, I would, what I would do, I was fortunate because I already owned real estate. I would just take my real estate that I own. And if I was renting it out to somebody on section eight or just a regular traditional renter, when their lease was up, I'm like, all right, well, let's convert this thing. So we would convert them to group homes. So let's say I had a three bedroom, two bath house. All of a sudden, I'm taking uh, with two garage with like a, a garage on it. I'm converting that garage. I'm laying tile in it. Now I've got five bedrooms, two baths, and I've got ten tenants living over there, paying me seven hundred dollars a month, right? So now I got seven thousand dollars of gross revenue coming in versus beforehand it was a three two that was maybe generating a thousand, 
right? So I've got 7,000 bucks a month coming in. Of course, my operating expenses are a little bit higher because now I'm actually paying for the utilities and the Time Warner cable and the Texas gas and all that other stuff. But the margins were enormous, right? I mean, and this is before the stuff really appreciated. So when I say appreciated, went went up in value, right? We're still talking mid 2000s. So the property taxes were still pretty low. And these things were, it, it was just a it was just a cash cow business is what it was. I asked this question kind of tongue in cheek because I know the answer, but I still love it. For the folks out there that read about 20% returns on their rental properties and they think that that's a scam, what would you say the average ROI is on your uh, group home business model on those properties? I have a feeling you want me to use my saying if it takes a calculator to figure out (laughs) But it's it's really true, right? I mean, calculator to figure out if it's a good deal. It's not a good deal. That's the way I looked at it. Yeah, uh, these returns were infinite. I mean, you know, we we'd get all I'd get all my money back usually in a couple of months. Meaning you would you would put the cash into the property and you'd own it free and clear within a couple of months. Yeah, I'd have all my money back, right? I mean, so basically, I would, for sake of argument, like let's say I'm at a tile of place up. It's it's a two thousand square foot place. It's going to cost me 2000 bucks to tile it. I'll probably be able to fully furnish that thing for at most 500 bucks, right? Because I'm going over to the auction, getting all this stuff for dirt cheap. So now I'm into the thing for a couple thousand dollars. I'm not spending really any money on marketing. Back then I was, I was doing faxes. I would literally on a sheet of paper, I'd print something out and I'd just sit around and just fax it to all the local nonprofits. So marketing costs were next to nothing. Yeah. I mean, like just do quick math, right? I mean, if you put 10 people into a property and you're pulling in $700 per head per person, that's 7,000 bucks. You're running a 50% profit margin. You're making $3,500 a month net. Okay. Like worst case scenario, maybe it cost me $7,000 to get up and running, which it didn't. I'd have all my money back in two months, like two months, I'd have all my money back. So to me at the time, as a young man, I'm like, this is what I'm going to do. This is the smartest thing for me to do. And it worked out. It worked out extremely well, extremely well. Yeah. So for the new listeners, if, you, if you're just joining us new to our content, you probably have a ton of questions running through your mind. We have so much content breaking down how this works, what you need to do to get started, the legality behind it. I'll, I'll give you, you know, the, just a really short answer. There is no license or anything like that required. We're not going to get into the, the nitty gritty kind of detail showing you how the sausage is made on this podcast. So if you're just joining us, check out all the other content, the other interviews, check out our YouTube channel where we really do a deep dive onto the kind of details on how to get something like this going. So we've heard kind of like the origin story of your business, Andy. You weren't retired, right? You weren't just sipping margaritas on the beach. You know, you had to manage this thing. You had to scale it. I'm guessing you did have some some free time. And as a natural born entrepreneur and hustler, got into other projects, which is kind of why we're here, right? So why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, why, why, why group home riches? How did that come about? Yeah, I mean, long story short, I think really what happened was, you know, I, I keep things pretty close to the vest, but there there were people that knew what I was doing. And 
they liked the business model and they, they knew, right? I mean, my bankers knew it because that was the other real, real beneficial thing with this business. When the last recession hit in 2007, eight, nine, you basically all of the real estate finance dried up. But what did not dry up was business lending, like SBA loans and stuff like that, especially if it was business lending backed by real estate. So people kind of in the community and just people that I was friends with, they knew what I was doing. So people would ask, what are you doing? Hey, can I tell my friend about what you're doing? Can my friend call you? Blah, blah, blah. So yeah, eventually I set up a website, a real horrible looking website a long time ago. And next thing I knew, people were opting in to the website to learn a little bit more about how to set these things up. And a couple of years went by and there was more people on the list and a couple more years went by and there was more people on the list. Then eventually you and I crossed paths and yeah, the rest is history, right? I mean, that's, that's what we're doing now. So that is, that was really the genesis of, uh, of group home riches. And it's kind of funny how we cross paths. So I kind of mentioned how I was, I was doing wholesaling (laughs) now and just kind of this will kind of give people kind of an inside glimpse of the, the properties and stuff too. So the majority of your properties, they're in those transitioning neighborhoods, right? Where you would see like a lot of investments going on, rentals, yes. et cetera, flips, right? It was probably like the areas were probably close to B-class neighborhoods at the point. But I remember driving for dollars, <laughs> which if anybody's researching how to invest in real estate, you've probably come across this strategy, but you drive the hot neighborhoods and you look for the homes that kind of need a rehab, and then you send letters to those owners. So yes, Andy's properties, for this model, it doesn't really make sense to do big, fancy, modern rehabs, right? No, so not at all. From the outside, the properties just look like, oh, you know, these probably old people maybe getting ready to retire, and the home clearly needs a rehab. But on yep. the inside, because there was no you know, little to no deferred maintenance, even though the stuff might not be modern inside, everything was just working great and functioning and everything like that. But long story short, I was probably hounding you for for your deals. (laughs) I know we found there were a whole bunch of emails of us going back and forth, and I'm sure I was just blasting you with yellow letters. So that's kind of a fun story. Yeah, which which is the uh, the common theme, right? I mean, you start buying this stuff and you own it and Next thing you know, you know all these wholesalers. So yeah. and that was how we originally crossed paths. And kind of to your point, back when like people figure out what you were doing, the bankers, your friends, other investors, everybody was like really curious about it, right? And there was even today, there's almost no information about there. So it's the strangest thing. Like a lot of people don't really know about this industry, even though they probably should. But for whatever reason, they don't they don't really know too much about it, you know. But yeah, it's it's a dude. It's it's a great, great, great business. Great business. Yeah. So there's like the ALF model, yep. right? The assisted living facility where you're providing the care. There's the co living model. So that's one of the new buzzwords: cooperative living. Yep. Where if you look up folks out there, head to coliving.com, and you'll see just. There's a lot of big startups that are getting into this, but advertising mainly to the general public, right? Like young professionals and people like that. I would guess, I would describe this as kind of a blend of those two models, 
right? Yeah. But the advantages are no license required. You're not providing like the actual healthcare. All that stuff is outsourced. And then, you know, rather than chasing down a bunch of like young new college grads that might not be making a ton of money, you're basically getting checks either directly or indirectly from the government. With yeah, checks, checks direct from the government. And this is the other thing that I've continued doing. We like that model. You know, it's, it's affordable housing in a nutshell. Yeah. So fast forward to just recently. So why don't you tell the folks what's been going on now currently with the properties and some of the new projects you're getting into, and then we'll, we'll kind of get why you're doing these things. And I wanted to touch on kind of the future of the real estate market as well. So, so, you know, what, what I have done, I think you eventually get to the point where you look at this stuff and you're like, yes, I can have all my money back in two months. But it is a little bit more operationally intensive than you may have time for. When you're young and you're like super hungry and you don't have any money, you're going to do anything you can to get things going. But eventually, what here's what happened with me. I continued buying these properties, these group homes in these, you know, call them, you know, D grade, C grade areas. And I would always try to buy in the path of progress, number one. And then number two, I'd always try to try to make them nicer, right? So I could actually, you know, create some value. So if I was buying something for, you know, 50, 60, 70,000, I pump a little bit of money into it. And maybe now all of a sudden it's worth a hundred. But then little by little, as the area got nicer, that property went from call it hundred grand or 90 grand to 130 and then 150 and then 200. And then if you get lucky, which obviously I did get a little bit lucky, the values can go up even more. So what I eventually started doing, because I wanted to keep the business because it was a really good business. So what I started doing is refinancing these properties and pulling money out. So I started taking all that money out. And, you know, just for sake of argument, if you take, again, for sake of argument, you take $100,000 out. And for some people, that'll sound like a small amount. For other people, that'll sound like a large amount. But if you take $100,000 out... You can use that to go set up a few more group homes, which I probably did a few times, or you can start doing things with that money. And so what I personally started doing with that money, sometimes I would buy properties and just rent them out. But other times, most of the time, what I would do is I would take that money and I would lend it out. So I would lend out that $100,000 or you know more. And, uh, you know, so if my debt costs on that were call it four or 5% back then, I could lend that money out at maybe 15% or 17% or 20% and then pocket the spread. So all of a sudden your $100,000 that you pulled out, you're making 15% net interest margin on that. You're making $15,000 a year on that. And so that's, that's really what I started doing a lot of. Beautiful. But for maybe like the beginners out there, what do you mean by refinance? It's similar to the what you just broke down as the the Burr method, which some people might kind of be familiar with. Yeah. So basically what you're doing is if you had bought the property for call it 50,000 bucks and now all of a sudden it's worth 100,000 or maybe let's do a little higher. Let's call it 120,000. You take that property back over to the bank and you say, hey, Mr. Banker, I'm going to give you my property. It's worth 120,000. How much money will you give me for it? And the banker's going to give you 100,000 bucks at call it 5% interest. So all of a sudden, 
even though you bought it for 50 and you were paying five or 10% interest on it or whatever it was. Now, the, since the bank knows it's worth a lot more, they're going to give you $100,000 in cash and you give them that property. You pay the bank back every year. You know, obviously we can run it on a monthly basis, but on an annual basis, you're paying the bank back 5,000 bucks. But then what you're going to do is you're going to take that $100,000 and you're going to do something that will generate even more than that $5,000. So that's your, that's your spread. And that becomes, especially if you're making loans with it, it's very, very, very passive, very passive. Yeah. And, so um, you can, you can go work, you can make the money work for you at say 15 to 20% or, absolutely, yeah. or you could take that cash and repeat with the group home model. Right. And we've already calculated what the ROI is on that cash. <laughs> it's right. infinite. Right. You know, then you can, do, you, you scale that. And this is something with, with this business, you could do it. You could do it pretty quickly. I mean, it took you like a year to get like four, what, like four or five properties. One of the recent interviews we did, Orlando, right? Yes. I think he did 12, 12 properties in his first year. And now he's building an apartment complex. So right. once you do get that cash vehicle, there's a lot of cool things that, that you could do with it. So what are you doing now? kind of scaling back on the group home model per se, you know, the individual residential homes. Right. What are, so, what are you taking a road trip for today? Yeah. So scaling back on the group homes and the primary reason why I'm scaling back on that is because the taxes are up significantly, right? So these areas that used to cost 50,000 uh, are worth a lot more now. And so what we've done, fortunately, we still have really good relationships with a lot of these nonprofits. And so I basically, again, I'm doing, I would say three different things. One of the things that I'm doing is I'm taking the money from these little houses and I'm moving them into, it's like Monopoly, right? I mean, you know, you've got one or two little homes or three or four homes on Baltic Avenue. And then all of a sudden, you know, you want to buy one hotel, same sort of concept. So we've been buying larger properties, right? I mean, so we've got, we'll take three or four little houses or I will, and we'll, we'll pump it into a, into a large building. And those large buildings, we still have good relationships with all these nonprofits. And so they're sending us their tenants. And so now rather than having these people share rooms, they'll get their own efficiency apartment or with a kitchenette and everything else, or one bedroom, one bath. And so I'm doing a decent amount of that. I'm still making loans. So what I'll do is I'll, you know, pull out equity from these properties and I'll make loans to people. I like making loans and we do a certain type of loan. It's not your traditional hard money loan or high interest loan. It's, you know, it's more of a partnership type loan. And obviously we could go into that in detail if you'd like. And then the other thing we'll do is we'll, we'll buy stuff. And then right now it's very difficult for, despite what the media may say, it's very difficult for a lot of people to get financing for properties. And so we'll buy stuff and then we'll, we'll finance it to them. And that's very beneficial for them because traditionally speaking, they can't go over to the bank because they don't have the down payment or they don't have the credit history or whatever it is. But we know the asset that we're lending on and we'll make loans to these people at their higher rates than, than you're going to see the banks charge, but they're still, you know, they're, it's still affordable for them. So I would say those are the really the three primary things that I'll do. Let's talk about the larger properties that you're mm -hmm. doing. So as a cash vehicle, 
you know, if you're just doing your rental model and you got 10, 20, 30 doors all spread around the city, you're making two or 300 bucks on a great month. That's not, you know, we've already talked about that. It doesn't seem like a great, a great, you know, lifestyle choice. However, if you have like a 90 unit, 90 doors, and they're cash flowing a couple hundred bucks, that, that yeah. makes a little more sense, right? Absolutely. Especially if you're the person at the top, right? I mean, back in the day when you were at that 80 unit building and it was you and, and the two other maintenance people. And, you oh, know, it's a nightmare. It's yeah, a nightmare. But, but for the person that owned it, they're not doing any of the work. And so there's enough revenue coming in off of it for them to pay you and those two other people and, and the maintenance staff and all those folks to babysit it. So that's essentially what we're doing right now. Right. So like uh, I'm actually parked in front of one of um, this is like a hotel conversion and I'm, I'm leaving now to go drive over to another one, but I'm parked in front of this thing right now. And uh, this thing is 68 units and it, you know, look, it's just like a little economy hotel is what it was. And, we are converting it to essentially do affordable housing is what we're doing. And so we ran gas lines. So we're going to put not in every single unit, but in a lot of the units, we'll wind up putting ranges in ovens and um, that'll give us an additional probably $55 a month on give or take call about 48 units that cost us $68,000. Oh, I'm sorry, 16,000 bucks, but you can just do quick math. I mean, it's, we're trying to make little decisions like that that'll where you just get your money back super, super, super fast. But that property right there is, you know, it's a good example of what I'm, it's just a little bit more scalable. This is what I'm trying to do. Basically get rid of the smaller stuff, move it into larger stuff, still provide quality, safe, affordable housing for the demographic that I was working with before, but also, also a new demographic. Talk about kind of the demand for that. Why would you continue the relationship with the nonprofits that you have and instead of just renting to, you know, your average bartender, you use that example, or, you know, yeah. your, your average typical tenant that most people picture in their mind? Right. Well, no, number one, the demand, I'm telling you, it's like, it's insatiable no matter where you go. People want, they want cheap housing. That's really what it boils down to. They want cheap, affordable, safe housing. And uh, if you're able to get deals at good enough price points, you're going to be able to provide that. And if you're able to get larger deals, you know, like that 90 unit building that we've got, this little 68 unit, I mean, we're looking at another one that's like 168,000 square feet. I think that one's 141, 141 units. I mean, you can really help out a lot of people, but you can also help, <laughs> you can also help out yourself. But it just becomes easier. That's the real answer, Brandon. It becomes easier because now all of a sudden, for example, over at that 90-unit building, I've got two security guards that are working 24 hours a day. One handles the day shift. One handles the night shift. I've got a girl at the front office. I've got a guy that oversees everything. And we've got multiple maintenance staff, multiple maintenance staff. And this thing's, I don't know, a couple hundred miles away. So I'm not, I'm just not not nearly as, as involved as beforehand. And I like that. And I'm also yeah. able to cut more people in on the deal. So, you know, what I like to do is give people a little piece of the action because that's the way that I was kind of trained. I had some guys that, that helped me out back in the day. And, you know, they said, all right, you know, you got to do all the work, but you're going to get 
15 to 30% of the deal, depending on the deal that I did. And uh, that was beneficial for me. And so I tried to do the same thing because there, there does, you do get to a point where, I mean, yeah, if you're like super greedy and you want to take everything that's, that's possible, but it also becomes a pain in the ass. So, but if you start giving away pieces of the action, you're going to be able to do less work, you know, and make more money long-term. It's like an investment, right? You're investing in, in talent that will eventually come back to you. Exactly. Exactly. Now, I remember I kind of worked back to like the property management company. I worked my way up to a much larger one that they had. It was a, they had like 400 units. <laughs> I think you, you know the property that I'm talking about. It kind of looks, basically looked like the projects kind of, but <laughs> oh, <laughs> I remember, and again, all the whole staff, even though I wasn't part of the office staff, I, I was kind of overseeing the construction at this mm -hmm. point. But it was still, they would take everybody, you know, the maintenance workers that weren't busy and we'd all need to go post scary letters on the doors of the tenants from yeah. like the first through the 10th. And th this was qualified people, right? They had good credit. Yeah. They had full-time jobs, good rental history, no criminal background, right? So your quote unquote qualified tenants. So even then, we would still have to, you know, it it take almost the whole staff to just send out all the the reminder letters, like, hey, rent is due, right? Yep, yep. So, why don't you break down for the people? What's it like when you're offering a, affordable housing to people that might not necessarily be qualified? What what's the advantage of doing that when it comes to collections? Yeah. Yeah, the beauty of it is that we don't really have to worry about collections from those people, from that demographic. And, um, and I, I'm emphasizing from that demographic because, look, if they're getting paid basically by the government or the government is paying you to house these people, you don't have to worry about it. I mean, the government's got <laughs> they've got they've got pockets that just never run out. I mean, that's the beauty of socialism is that, you know, you never run out of other people's money. Now, when you do run out of other people's money, that's when that's when you got to be worried. Um, well, that's when that's when we're heading to the bunker. So, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but that yeah, that's really that's really the way it goes, right? I mean, so we've got individuals that are part of various programs within the five county region, and there's so many different programs. So they're part of these programs, and it's whether it's families in crisis, whether it's I mean, there's so many. And it's going to depend on where you live. I mean, if you're in Cleveland, Ohio, there's going to be different programs than if you're in Waco, Texas. But nonetheless, I mean, it's government funded housing is what it is. And yeah, I mean, you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about evicting those people is what it boils down to. Now, you may have to worry about evicting them if they start misbehaving or doing crazy things at the properties. But from, well, a, of rental, course. from a rental standpoint, you don't have to worry about it. That that comes with your traditional housing as well, though. It does absolutely, absolutely. I don't know if I if I told you the first call I I ever had to take at that large property. Have I told you? Um, yeah, probably. But I mean, my first, very too. first day, the first call in the office, okay, um, was a person. It's like at eight a.m. Right, <laughs> like the office opened. I pick it up. And a guy just starts screaming at me because we haven't patched up a bullet hole quick enough. Yeah. So, <laughs> and and this was this was like a nice apartment complex. Everybody's qualified. So when you're dealing with a lot of people, you know, 
crazy stuff's going to happen. Right. Yeah, um, you're, de- you're dealing with human beings. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> we're, we're a weird species for sure. Mm-hmm. I think another, another advantage that I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, what did you kind of plan on your vacancy rate being with your traditional rentals? Well, like I was telling you at the beginning, I didn't even factor that in. Like I didn't, I didn't know any better. Right. I mean, I was like, oh yeah, it's good. It's just going to be revenue minus PITI, but you know, you've, you quit factor. You don't even know. You don't know what you don't know. But realistically, you need to be running, you know, call it a five to 10 percent vacancy factor. OK. And I think that's pretty good, I think, compared to, you know, compared to other companies. I was speaking with a with an organization. I forgot where it was, but for one of the uh, our, our uh, done for you clients and one of the organizations, they said they had like twelve hundred people on their waiting list. Yeah, it was just closed. So you know, back to the demand portion of this. What's like the feedback that you're getting from these these nonprofits and the organizations that you're networking with? Is it yeah, is it? It's insatiable. I mean, there is so much demand for this type of housing. It's incredible. And and really, no matter where you go, I mean, even in small little podunk towns, I mean, people want cheap, affordable rent. That's what they want. That is what they want. Just for the sake of the argument or to give you an, a, an example for the folks out there, if you were to build, you know, five more properties like the one you're at right now, I think the your connections now could be able to fill that thing, fill uh, them all yeah, up. In a heartbeat, in a heartbeat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they, in a heartbeat. I mean, they get these things filled up in a second because how many people out there are offering all bills paid for 500 to $600 a month? It's almost impossible. Yeah. I remember the company that I worked with, they would, it's kind of sucks, but, and I'm sure it's, you know, it's probably common in the industry. There's ways to kind of tiptoe around this, but they would pr- make it pretty hard just to work with section eight folks. Oh, so, yeah. and uh, you know, if it were like a nonprofit and they were to call us like about working with them, they, you know, unfortunately they weren't even going to get the time of day. No, they're, no. they're not going to. So that, that's another reason why I like this industry and this niche, because once you get to know these people, you get to know the police officers, you get to know the nonprofit heads, the nonprofit chairs. I mean, they're just going to start sending you all of their people and they'll, they will show you how to expedite uh, getting paid and they'll show you how to expedite everything. But the average, the average organization, I mean, they just, they don't know how to do it. They don't have the I don't have a means to do it. And it's also, this is kind of part, kind of where we come in with group home riches, right? I mean, you listen to the real estate podcast, the blogs, how many people are talking about doing this kind of thing? Nobody's talking about doing it. Nobody knows how to do it. It's, it's not even on their radar. It's not on their radar, but guess whose radar it is. On? It is on every governor's, every mayor's, every city council member's radar. This is all they care about. This is their top priority: housing, affordable housing. Yeah. So, kind of, and I'm going to come in, and I'm going to be the one that provides housing for all of these people that, by the way, are going to be voting for you. So that's a great segue. Let's talk about let's talk about the real estate market and kind of okay. the the future the future of housing and what, where you see the future of of this industry going. Let's kind of touch on let's touch on the overall macro 
real estate market and we won't you know we won't do a deep dive on it but why don't you give us kind of a short version of where you see things headed yeah look i'm no expert uh i'm not a data scientist all i can tell you is we're going into a, a slowdown period right so interest rates have gone give or take they were down in the two percent range now they're in the seven percent range <laughs> so we're talking about a 500 basis point bump very 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 quickly like super quickly so that's that's already having an impact on the market things are slowing down dramatically so that's kind of number one it's going to make properties more unaffordable people can't go out and buy stuff you know beforehand they could go buy the $150,000 property at 3% they cannot afford that property at 7 8 9 10 11% it's unaffordable so it's going to slow down the amount of people buying properties. It's going to slow down the building big time because builders, you know, they're not going to be building properties if they know that they can't turn them over. Number two, even from an apartment development standpoint, I mean, the guy that was building or developing apartments, he was borrowing money at two, 3% floating. Now he's borrowing money at eight. So the, the game is totally changed. It doesn't work anymore. It doesn't work anymore. So, look, there's a lot of headwinds coming our way. The other thing is it's becoming just difficult in general to make money. People are making less money, despite what you may hear out there on the radio and elsewhere in the national media. It's becoming more difficult to make a living. So what do people need? They need affordable housing. And where do you see the future of that industry going? Man, long term, it, look, it's so difficult to say, um, but there's definitely going to be more government owned housing. There's going to be more government controlled housing. You're going to see, you know, city councils, city governments start taking over buildings and what have you. But at the end of the day, you're going to see more people, more kids bunking up with their parents, more parents bunking up with their parents. It's going to be very similar to Europe. That's my personal opinion. And I think that group homes, uh, care homes, whatever you want to call them, are going to be one of the solutions to this problem. It, let's kind of rewind. If you were, let's say you were in your corporate position today, just coming out of college, someone that, that was curious about real estate investing, what would be your game plan? With the current state this time, what, what would you do? This is what I would do. I would go out, I'd start hunting for properties because I would want to buy them. And knowing that you can't get financing for them or the numbers don't really make sense anymore, I would be looking to try to convince sellers to seller finance me stuff. That's what I would do. I try to, you know, stuff that's stuff will be sitting now, right? Beforehand, it would sell in a month, two months. Now things are going to be sitting on the market for six months, eight months, 12 months. These owners want to get rid of this stuff. So you're going to have to come in there and rescue them in some capacity. Hey, I know you want $150,000 for your house. You're unable to do that. Why don't you do this, Mr. Seller? Finance me that property. Seller, finance me that property for 100. I'll pay your price. I'll pay 150 grand, but give me a 2% interest rate loan. If you do that 10 times, you're going to get one or two yeses. And then I would take over that property. Now I actually own the property. And I've got a super, super, super low interest rate on it. So I can principal pay down the thing real fast. And then I'd start running them as group homes. That's what I would do. Two, three, four properties. Next thing you know, I mean, you're free. You're making way more money than you're going to make in corporate America. And it's a more stable form of income as well. And just my personal opinion, looking at trends, 
I don't see the affordable housing thing, the demand for it going down anytime. The go- like you, you kind of mentioned like the government funds yeah. for the folks out there. Just look up, you know, affordable housing crisis and news, and you're going to see this state gets puts this much amount of money into it. The government, the federal government puts this much amount of money into it. If you, I don't know, if you were to estimate how much do you think is allocated to go towards affordable housing? Oh, it's billions and billions and billions of dollars per year. I mean, you've got latex subsidies. I mean, it's, it's incredible. The, The overall amount of money that's being pumped into this industry in this space is it's off the charts, off the charts. And if you want to, if you want to play this game, kind of how we do it, what, what we do for some of our clients or show others how to do is basically you want to follow the money, right? You want to, yeah. it's going to go from your federal government to the state, then it's going to mm-hmm. get allocated to all these nonprofits and social yep. service organizations. And we kind of touched on that, right? So those are the relationships that you have locally. Yes. Yeah when they do get a call from a potential real estate investor that wants to partner with them, what's that like, <laughs> you know, what's, I mean, what's your, how do they typically easy, receive? Right? Yeah. They, they are typically reaching, they have typically these people have landlord outreach specialists because 9.9 out of 10 landlords don't want to deal with it. They don't want to deal with it. They don't know about it. They're scared about it. They've heard the horror stories or whatever. So they typically will have a landlord outreach specialist. What you are doing and what we, you know, what I've done and what we train people to do with group home riches is actually reach out to those landlord outreach specialists and reach out to the people at those nonprofits and educate them about what you are doing. Hey, I've got a house. It's a four bedroom, two bath house, fully furnished. Do you have any clients that are in need of housing right now? Actually, I do. You know, and by the way, it's, we have, you know, they've got a thousand dollars a month to allocate towards their housing costs. Perfect. Can, can, can you send me eight of them? Yes, I can. Next thing you know, you're looking for another house. And if you're talking to the right people, it's not like they have just four five, six, seven, eight clients at a time. Like, oh, they've, uh, got, they've got hundreds of clients. Yeah, Each I, nonprofit I, has got hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of clients. Realistically, when was the last time you had to do a lot of like outbound marketing and finding new connections? Never. It's been more than a decade. Right. So I did it a little bit when, when we first started working together, I'm doing it way more now with the done with our done for you clients, you know, way more, way more boots on the ground. I'm actually making these calls for, for our clients to just kind of show them, you know, how to, how to speak with these people. You don't even necessarily have to have a property yet. In fact, the majority of our clients don't. But all we say is, hey, we're a new real estate company. We plan on, you know, opening a couple properties over the next couple of months. I see that you have a blah, blah, blah program. I'm just calling to get more information on that. Literally, one of the the women I spoke with the other day, like the first thing that she said was, oh, my God, you've made my day. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, these people fall in love with you. Yeah. I mean, you're, then, you're, like a, you're like a blessing for them. And you know, you obviously have to build rapport with them. You do have to, you can't just, if, if you're in it to be kind of a slumlord and just get quick cash and thinking it's going to be passive in the beginning, you're not going to, yeah, it's, it's, it's a relationship business, right? 
and, you know, think about your goals, tell them what, what your goals are, what, what you want to do, what brought you to this in the first place. Right. Um, when they hear that you're serious about it, Hey, I plan on doing like four or five properties in my first year, which pause it's not uncommon. You can go through all the previous podcasts, anybody that kind of hustles, you know, 10 to 20 hours per week, put it into this. That's a very common result. And most of them like Andy, they typically kind of become semi-retired at that point, or at least retired from the rat race. Right. Yes. So, and then you just kind of pitch them the game plan, which I believe after, after speaking with what you're doing now, Andy, Orlando, a couple of our other recent, recent guests and working with the people that are the boots on the ground. Hey, I do plan on doing the cooperative shared living model for the first couple of properties, but in the future, I do plan on getting into development projects, you know, multifamilies, et cetera. And there is a huge need for that. You know, the single units, yes, people that, that, that want, or they, they need a single unit, especially if it's, you know, women with children. Right. And there's government subsidies for it as well. I mean, you can just look up, just type in like single room occupancy on the internet and the area that you live or the city that you live in, it'll, it'll pop up. I mean, there's a ton of HUD money going to SRO housing. And just though, just little, like just a quick email, Hey, who can I talk to? You get on a call like that, had a call. Well, we have a client in Baltimore, Andy, it took like, took like two emails, one zoom call. And we're connected with the, with like the, the mayor's department of housing. (laughs) Yeah, but and that, that's the beauty of this done for you program, you know, that we're setting up for people is that we really are. I mean, we're doing it for them. It's funny. Again, just kind of a glimpse. We do want to give you guys kind of the real deal. I mean, we're, we're telling you, showing you how the sausage is made, the advantages, the disadvantages. And that client, we actually have a meeting later today where we're going to be pitching uh, an investor. You brought up the seller financing aspect, Andy. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's this client's situation. We're talking to an investor later today about uh, seller financing, like a 15-bedroom multifamily property. So yeah. you get the connections. Now we're going to go find the properties and boom, if, if that deal goes through, we already have connections to, to fill that property and build a wait list for the next couple of them. Yeah, you're, put, you're putting two and two together. I mean, and, and we, we walk people through how to do it and yeah, not only walk them through how to do it, we do it for them. I mean, that's why it's the, the done for you package. Yeah. Um, it's this a, is where I see it all going. Yeah, it's a lot of marketing. You kind of touched on it back in the day. You were doing faxing, (laughs) you know, faxing all the time, probably a lot of uh, door to door stuff. We kind of just take the, you know, we take like the internet marketing that that we've learned with with group home riches and also, you know, with the real estate investing thing, obviously times have changed. There's so much software and digital stuff that you can be doing. We take that and, and apply it to this model for our done for you clients. So yeah, it's ex- exciting times. You can just go through and read some of our recent success stories. And with the way the, the market is now and what we kind of foresee it happening over the next couple of years, these are the times where fortunes you know, are made. I mean, this, exactly. is, this is really when fortunes are made and the group home space industry, whatever you want to refer to it as, 
I mean, this is where not only you're going to make your fortune, but this is where the cash flow is going to separate the wheat from the chaff. I mean, you will make more cash flow running group homes than anything else. And yeah, you could swoop in and buy up a lot of real estate over the course of the next 12 to 48 months, in my opinion. Yep. My opinion is about to be a garage sale. <laughs> we don't have to get into the technicals or anything on this podcast. Obviously, I'm not, like you said, I'm not economics major or anything like that, but you can kind of see the, all the signs. Yeah, it's out there. So we'll, we'll wrap things up. I know you got to walk the property and kind of check mm-hmm. on things. What do you have planned? What are, what are your plans for the future? What do you plan on doing in this uh, upcoming market? Look, I, I, all I'm doing right now is uh, I'm, I'm going to refinance some stuff. I'm going to sit, basically put the cash into a bank account. I was planning on selling earlier this year and I just, I got busy. I didn't get around to it. So I'll refinance. I can still take advantage of my relationships with the local bankers and then I'll look for stuff to buy. That's really what I'm planning on doing. And look, the other good thing is when things slow down, it does give you an opportunity to focus on other things, right? Because Right now, the deals really started have not started popping up and the interest rates are higher. So you just got to sit around and wait. So take this time, enjoy yourself, enjoy your family, focus on the important stuff. And then, you know, when, when the time is right, you know, we'll be ready to pounce. Absolutely. So for the folks out there, if you are interested, hopefully we've piqued your interest. If you've made it this far and you haven't, and you're not on our mailing list, bare minimum, head over to grouphomeriches.com, sign up for the free guide. That's going to be emailed to you. That'll break down all of the burning questions that are in your head right now. (laughs) So how does it work? What's the opportunity? Why is it legal? The laws that we follow, et cetera, how to outsource, how to get started, how to acquire properties, especially if you have little to no money. How do you get into this business if you are? check to check, right? And you don't have savings. We have a ton of success stories of people in that in that same situation that have now, again, first year, they become kind of semi-retired. So grouphomeriches.com, sign up for the free material. If you've already learned the basics through our free content, again, on YouTube or everywhere podcasts are, and it, you are ready to pull the trigger, bare minimum, get our gold course. It's only 199 bucks at the time of recording. With that, you know, we've really compiled as much info as possible, as much resources, all in a digital library for you. So much gold in there. I'll, I'll just give you one example of how you're going to 10x your money on that. We have uh, Andy talked about kind of relationships with bankers. We have the original pitch deck that he has in the gold course. <laughs> that, that alone is worth the price. And there, well, yeah, well, that's, that's, that's worth 10,000 yeah, bucks. Yeah, exactly. And there's so many examples of that, right? So I won't get into that. Go read our reviews. The the, uh, results speak for themselves at this point. Bonus to that is you get access to our private Facebook group. There's over 2000 members in there, people from all stages of the business, networking, helping each other, sharing details and things that work for them, what doesn't, et cetera. You see marketing material that they're using. That alone, you could probably learn everything you need just from that Facebook group, to be honest. And then from there, we offer a couple, a, a number of different coaching options to really fast track things if you're looking to kind of 
pay for a shortcut. Yeah, everything from us hopping on the phone with you to kind of guide you through it to even, you know, putting our team to work for you. So if you're curious about those, reach out to us. Either uh, my email is brandon at grouphomeriches.com and Andy's is Andy at grouphomeriches.com. But either way, we're excited about the future, our future here with Group Home Riches, as well as just the future of the industry. Show you guys how to to get rich while everyone else doesn't. So, <laughs> you know, it's it's the cold hard truth. So, Andy, do you have do you have any parting words for folks out there? No, just you know, look, don't sit on the sidelines. I mean, take action, and I mean, go quickly. I mean, if you think that this is something that you would like to do, block out everything else and just go do it and do it quickly. Like, I mean, right now, take some action, get off your ass and go, just go buy the goal course. I mean, it, it doesn't cost much. Go buy the goal course, start looking through everything. Don't let it just sit there. Start looking through everything and start studying it. And then either go do it and implement it on your own or call Brandon and I and uh, let us do it for you. Or at least go listen to a couple of our clients that have had a lot of success with us setting these things up for them. Yep. You could literally email our team, ask, Hey, this is where I'm at. Where do I start? We'll just pull, we'll, we'll guide you along the way via email. Another bonus, you, you get online support with the, with the gold course, really no excuses at this point. So reach out to us. We look forward to working with you. Andy, thank you so much for your time. We'll need to uh, keep the people posted with these new projects. I'm excited to see how they end up. Well, yeah, you just got to drive up here with me. I mean, these things are at full occupancy. So now it's just about wow. buying more of them. Yeah. That was quick. That was quick. <laughs> yep, exactly. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. We'll check in with you soon. Perfect. Thanks, Brendan. Bye. Yep.